0: You are listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals.
1: Welcome to episode 28 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson. Estate planning is complex because it involves so many areas. Trust law, super law, tax law, family law. There are so many questions to answer and so many documents to prepare Then they all need to think without contradicting each other, stand the test of time and possibly a party contesting them. And that is even before looking at the tax side. I asked Ben Simons, a barrister in Sydney, to shed more light on the role of super and testamentary trust in estate planning and he kindly agreed. Because estate planning is also affected by the new super changes, Ben will also touch on these. I started by asking Ben what estate planning is actually about? Here's his answer.
0: Estate planning is about the protection of assets, minimizing tax, and cost-effectively transferring wealth to future generations. It's important because most people have typically have three major assets. They have a property, they have superannuation, and they may have assets in a family trust. It's important to plan ahead before a situation arises for which you need asset protection. You want to to undertake the planning and asset protection before you you end up in a situation where you need it because, well, it will be too late then. It's important to review a an asset protection plan regularly because assets change, beneficiaries change, and the way in which assets may be transferred to them tax effectively changes. In the event of death, what are the major tax planning strategies? Um, first is making the most of the CGT death exemption. Uh, assets passing to a, an executor or beneficiary are generally tax-free. Uh, it's important to know that assets passing to non-residents or tax-exempt bodies, such as super funds, are not tax-free. They are subject to capital gains tax. So ideally, you want to avoid gifts to these entities um, from a, a tax point of view. Uh, making smart use of the primary residence exemption, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, using testamentary trusts, settling income in a testamentary trust, they are written into most wills these days, is a good way to pass income to minor beneficiaries and they will be taxed at their marginal rates, whereas minor beneficiaries receiving income from an intervivas or existing family trust will be taxed at their punitive top marginal rate. And finally, smart planning with superannuation. Um, What are the taxes on a superannuation fund? Well, Income of the fund is taxed at 15%. Long-term capital gains are taxed at 10%. Concessional contributions in the fund are taxed at 15%. Non-concessional contributions are not taxed, but excess non-concessional contributions are effectively taxed at the top marginal rate of 95%. So we don't want excess non-concessional contributions. Is
1: it 95%?
0: It's, it's an effective rate of 95%. Uh, they are, they are liable, uh, individual taxpayers are liable to pay tax at 49% for non-concessional contributions. Those, uh, that will, if they'll effectively be making those non-concessional contributions from after tax income. And,
1: uh, ah, yes, okay. That,
0: that will be at the top marginal rate. And that, that is how the, uh, they will be subject to tax at an effective rate of 95%. Uh, It's also interesting to note that the earnings on the assets that fund a pension are not taxed while the fund or that part of the fund is in pension phase. Taxation of the payment of a super death benefit. Generally payments to members over the age of 60 are tax-free. Lump-sum payments to a death benefit dependent or a person who is terminally ill are also tax-free. Non-dependents can only receive a lump sum and non-dependents from 1 July 2007 cannot receive a pension. Uh, Who is a death benefit dependent? A death benefit dependent is a spouse, a child under the age of 18, or a person who has an interdependency relationship with the deceased. A person has an interdependency relationship with the deceased if they uh, have a close personal relationship with the deceased. They live together and one or each provides the other with financial support or personal care. Uh, this is important because these people can receive a lump sum tax-free or they can receive a pension and be taxed at concessional rates. So it's important to know who is a death benefit dependent because they can receive superannuation payment tax effectively when uh, somebody passes away.
1: And they can receive a pension whereas a non-dependent can't receive a Pension They can only receive a lump sum.
0: That's exactly right. So a uh, a, super, a super death benefit dependent can receive a lump sum or a pension. The lump sum is tax-free. The pension is taxed at concessional rates. And the a, a non-dependent can only receive a lump sum. They're taxed at concessional rates, but they can't receive a pension. They can only receive a lump sum. So that's important to, to yeah. keep in mind. Superannuation doesn't automatically form part of your estate on death. The assets fall to be administered by the trustee according to the trust deed and the CIS regs. And we know that from the case of I, Apollo and Conti, a Western Australian Supreme Court case.
1: What happened there?
0: In that case, I, look, I, that was a, a blended family situation. Most of these cases involve blended family situations. Death benefits must be cashed immediately upon a member's death and the death benefit must be paid to a dependent or the deceased legal personal representative. They're the two people it should be paid to. Death benefit nominations. Basically, these are nominations that by which you can specify where your superannuation money should go to when you pass away. There are three main types of nominations. A non-binding nomination, a binding death benefit nomination that must be renewed every three years, and a non-lapsing binding death benefit nomination. There is some authority to say that non-lapsing binding death benefit nominations are are valid for self-managed super funds, and with death benefit nominations, you can have multiple nominations and you can have cascading nominations. So if one beneficiary predeceases another, you've got another beneficiary to take their place. The case law is clear that binding death benefit nominations must be clear and precise, otherwise they're invalid. The nomination must be made in accordance with the trust deed and care should be taken to comply with the trust deed and the cis regs in completing these nominations. The most interesting case on this is the 2015 Queensland case of Munro and Munro. In that case, the deceased had used the words trustee of the deceased estate rather than executor to specify that their money should pass to, to their legal personal representative. And that wording was ultimately held not to be precise enough. Trustee of the deceased estate is a legal term of art. The term that the deceased should have used or the, the person completing that nomination form, their professional advisor was executor. So.
1: So just using a wrong word turned the entire binding death nomination invalid.
0: Exactly. So you want to either use the name of a death benefit dependent. Or you want to use the term executor or legal personal representative. You want to use one of those terms. So it can either go to a dependent, usually a death benefit dependent, and you want their name in the form. Or if it's to go to the executor of the estate, you use the term executor or legal personal representative. One of those terms. Um, An in, invalid nomination is likely to have serious implications for the drafter. They're likely to be subject to a professional negligence action, so it's important to get these right. Mm.
1: Do you know if that was the case at Munro versus Munro, whether the drafter had a negligent case against him?
0: Uh, they Look, they probably did. Mm. I mean, these cases settled, so there's not a decided case. Um, it Look, the negligence would have been fairly clear-cut.
1: Yes. So, yeah, yeah um, mm.
0: the answer is probably yes the advantages and disadvantages of the different types of nomination a non-binding nomination gives maximum flexibility to the trustee but um, it gives maximum flexibility as to how they distribute the the super money to beneficiaries and i guess the ability to maximize the the tax advantages but it's not binding so the deceased's wishes may not be respected the trustee has a lot of discretion if a with the, with the other types of nomination binding nomination re- renewed every 3 years if that's done properly it will be binding the deceased wishes will be respected but they it may not allow for flexibility in terms of tax planning and the non lapsing bind, binding nomination that can be used to self managed super funds it's a once and for all nomination so you can just make it once and um you know it it has the the advantage of administrative simplicity you can just make it once and for all so, that is, um, they're the three main types of nomination. Reversionary pensions, uh, this is an alternative to a binding death benefit nomination. You can nominate a maximum of one reversionary pensioner for each pension that your client pays themselves. Some clients pay themselves multiple pensions, therefore they could nominate one reversionary pensioner for each pension. I'd say most just pay themselves one pension. If there are both reversionary pensions and binding death benefit nominations and the trustee is silent, the ATO takes the view that the reversionary pension prevails. So that's important to to keep in mind. Duties of a self-managed superfund trustee when cashing a death benefit. Um, The trustee must exercise their discretion in accordance with the trustee and the CIS regs and in accordance with principles of equity. From general principles of equity, the trustee has the, the following duties. The duties to act in the best interest of beneficiaries, a duty to act in good faith, a duty to avoid conflict of interest, and a duty to act impartially between different classes of beneficiaries.
1: Is it uh, principles of equity or principles in equity?
0: Well, principles of equity, if you like, legal principles of equity that Mm -hmm. the trustee must act in accordance with. If the trustee is unsure, they should really take legal advice and make sure that they are conforming with their, their legal duties because they can be sued for a breach of trust if they don't. The trustee should also give thought as to whether a family provision claim could be made on the estate. I would say the trustee should wait 12 months in most situations um, before paying out the estate.
1: Could you explain what a family provision claim is? Is it the claim that the family has for providing for the family's financial survivor?
0: It's A family provision claim is essentially a claim by someone who had a, usually a close relationship with the deceased and lived with the deceased, that they are needy and they were left out of the deceased's will, and that the deceased shouldn't have left them out of the will. This is one of the fastest growing areas of practice now. Um, if you like, it's a will dispute. It's a will dispute, but it's made usually to be able to make an FPA claim, you must have lived with the deceased. Um, and often these claims, they often involve blended family disputes. So uh, you'll have a dispute where either the children of the first marriage or the de facto on the second marriage were left out of the will, and this is a way that they can make a claim on the estate and, and get some money. E- effectively, they're saying, I am needy and the deceased shouldn't have left me out of the will and therefore I'm entitled to to some of the deceased estate.
1: But the family provision claim can only be made against the estate. It can't be made against the super fund?
0: That's correct. So the family provision claims are made against the deceased Well, yeah, family provision claims are made against the deceased estate. The problem is the way those rules work The superannuation funds will often form part of what's called notional estate. So it will be deemed to be part of the deceased estate. Okay, And
1: that's why it also has an effect on the SMSF.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So the way I said, the trustee should probably wait 12 months before, um, before paying the, yeah, certainly before paying the assets to somewhere other than the estate of the deceased. So some interesting cases on the, the duties of a trustee. The 2013 Victorian case of Worcester and Morris, deceased had around a million dollars in a self-managed super fund and made binding death benefit nominations in favour of his two adult daughters from his first marriage. His second wife was the surviving member and director of the, uh, of the trustee company of the self-managed super fund. And she resolved that these binding death benefit nominations were invalid and paid the superannuation money to it herself. The daughters went to court and sought a declaration that the binding death nominations were valid and the money should have been paid to them. The court ultimately upheld their their case and granted those declarations. They didn't really give reasons as to why, but the trustee in that case had a clear con- conflict of interest and the court said they should have sought judicial advice as to whether they, you know, the second wife should have sought judicial advice whether, is she, whether she is trustee would pay the money out to herself. She had a clear conflict of interest. So, you, if you seek judicial advice, you effectively go to court and ask for a declaration that what you're, pro- you, you, you ask them to sanction what you propose to do, and that way you can't be sued for a breach of trust.
1: Yeah, and I think um, I think the daughters were represented by DBA lawyers in Melbourne, and DBA lawyers wrote a very good article in the um, Taxation Magazine for the um, Tax Institute. And I think another problem or another issue in the case was that the uh, trustee um, charged all the legal expenses and they were quite substantial, substantive. I think they were two or three hundred thousand dollars. She charged all of those to the deceased's account and not to her account. So when, when it came, to the payout, there wasn't so much left, left anymore. So then that was another, another problem. And I think even after this court decision, the daughter still struggled to actually get the trustee to pay. Okay. So it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a very complex case.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's, um, look, most of these cases involve blended family disputes and, um, yeah um ideally you you know you want to make clear what your intentions are before you die it's important to have valid binding death benefit nominations and make absolutely clear you know what you want to happen to your assets when you pass away
1: yeah or maybe not have an smsf with your second spouse if you want everything to go to the children from the first Marriage.
0: You could get a professional trustee. That, that's another solution. You could, getting a professional trustee to administer the super fund yeah. would probably be a, a smart way around that problem. Pointing a professional trustee and having valid binding death benefit nominations is probably a good way to go in that, that, mm. that situation. In blended situation. Yes, mm. exactly, exactly. The next case is the case of Ayapolo and Conti that we mentioned earlier. In that case, the surviving trustee and... The surviving member of the fund, who was the second husband, paid the SMSF benefits to himself, despite a contrary direction in the deceased wife, Will, that the super money be paid to the four daughters of her first marriage. Previously, there had been two binding death benefit nominations in favour of the husband, but they had lapsed at the, the time of death. In this case, the husband had paid the money to himself. Again, he had a clear conflict of interest. Um, he went and paid it to himself Anyway. In this case, he was lucky because when the case came for trial, the only evidence the court had before it was his affidavit evidence, and the the plaintiffs in that case did not give sufficient notice that they wanted to uh, cross examine him, and therefore they were refused leave to cross examine him. So all the court had was his uncontradicted affidavit evidence, and it decided in his favour. It decided that he could pay the money to himself the outcome may have been different if the planners had been on their game and they'd given notice that they wanted to cross-examine and they did cross-examine him. But the court also observed that really you should get judicial advice in this situation. You should approach the court, get judicial advice. Yet yeah, there is a cost to that. Um, hopefully that money can be paid out of the estate. That is a, a preferable situation so that you can't be sued as a trustee for breach of trust. So really, in these situations, you should, a blended family type dispute, uh, if the trustee has any doubt as to, or if the trustee has a conflict of interest or has doubt as to where the money should be paid, they should approach the court for judicial advice. Testamentary trust, this is another way to pass money to a beneficiary tax effectively. Uh, Most wills have testamentary trust as a standard clause in the will these days, and the money can be distributed to, effectively money can be settled in a testamentary trust when somebody passes away, and then that money or earnings on that money can be, be distributed to minor beneficiaries and they're taxed at their marginal rates. If those beneficiaries receive income or money from an intervious or existing family trust, they will be taxed at the top marginal rate. So the testamentary trust has that advantage that the money being paid from the trust to a minor beneficiary is taxed at their marginal rates.
1: Mm-hmm. But the testamentary trust sits next to the, to the SMSF, and the, the assets that, that are in the SMSF don't necessarily become part of the testamentary trust.
0: Exactly. The, the, the assets in a testamentary trust are completely separate from the SMSF.
1: But it is possible that the trustee decides to pay the, um, the funds from the SMSF to the testamentary trusts. You or, could have, or maybe that even the binding desk nomination says that it got, should go into the testamentary trust.
0: Yes, you could do that. I mean, that's complicated. Should, you so could, it's not
1: common. It's not a common way. Usually the two the two legal vehicles sit net, next to each yeah, other. Yeah, that's mm.
0: that's probably the better way. I mean, you, you could set it up. Uh, if, if you're trying to maximise tax advantages, it becomes administratively a lot more complex if you're going to have trust distributing the trust. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, so it's, a possi- it's a possibility, but, place. yeah, it From an administrative point of view, it's easier. It's in, in some situations, there may be a tax advantage to having, if you like, a super fund pay money into a testamentary trust or possibly vice, vice versa. But I mean, it is complicated and usually not done. Well, to justify the administrative expense, you'd want a reasonable amount of tax benefit to do that. So you need to keep that in mind. But in general, you know, in general, I'd think of them as sitting alongside each other. And the main advantage of a testamentary trust, it can be used to pay income to minor beneficiaries and they're taxed at their, at marginal tax rates rather than top marginal tax rate. Um, they offer good asset protection and the ability to stream capital gains and frank dividends to shareholders. And you don't want to put your main residence in a trust because you won't get access to the CGT and land tax exemption. Main if you residence do exemption, yeah. Exactly. So you want to keep your main residence out of a trust. And there are also ongoing administration costs with a testamentary trust. But, you know, so it
1: depends on how much is in the trust, whether it's worthwhile or not.
0: Exactly, mm. exactly. Do the tax benefits justify the ongoing administrative costs? That is testamentary trusts. With, with a super fund, you're always better leaving your assets to a death benefit dependent, usually your spouse, sometimes a minor child, but probably your spouse, Adult children, children over the age of 18 are not death benefit dependents. And if you.
1: If unless, you, unless they live with the deceased and were financially dependent on the deceased.
0: That's true. If they, if, I guess, if they're living with the deceased and they're financially dependent on the deceased, um, I guess that's more and more these days, children over the age of 18 do live at home. Uh, there may be an argument that they're a death benefit dependent. In general, you're probably better leaving it to your spouse, but that's, um, that's important to think about as well. Um, so, lump sum payments to death benefit dependents tax-free, pension payments taxed at concessional rates. So, um, yeah, that, you know, they're important things to think about. What were the major changes that were made in the 2016-2017 federal budget in relation to superannuation? The bill contains changes to Tax Laws Amendment, Fair and Sustainable Superannuation Bill 2016 contained the changes that were made to superannuation laws and they were enacted to apply from 1 July 2017. It's clear from the explanatory memorandum that the purpose of superannuation is to provide for an individual's retirement. It is being seen less and less as a wealth planning vehicle. There's still some opportunities for for wealth planning, if you like, but the government is gradually winding back concessions in relation to superannuation. There is an abolition of the requirement that less than 10% of an individual's income must be earned from employment. The superannuation contributions to be deductible to that individual.
1: So there's no longer the work test.
0: Yes, that's, that's, that's right. So, um, you can, you, you can make contributions to superannuation and you don't have to show that you're employed. The threshold at which the rebate cuts out for spousal contributions has been raised to $40,000 from 13800 So it's possible to get a rebate of up to $540 for contributions that you make to your spouse's superannuation fund. There is a low income tax offset for individuals earning $37,000 or less. The annual non-concessional contributions cap has been reduced to $100,000 for individuals under 65, and this will result in a three-year bring-forward non-concessional contribution cap of $300,000. Individuals with superbalances greater than $1.6 million will no longer be able to make non-concessional contributions and the threshold at which Division 293 tax applies will be reduced to $250,000 from $300,000. The concessional contributions cap will be reduced to $25,000 for all individuals, and individuals will be able to transfer a maximum of $1.6 million to a tax-free retirement phase account. Individuals with superbalances of less than $500,000 are allowed to make up cap concessional contributions for their unused concessional contribution cap for up to five years. That's commencing 1 July 2018. The transfer balance cap of 1.6 million only amounts transferred to a retirement account are included. Earnings on the capital of the assets transferred are not included. And that 1.6 million is indexed to inflation from 1 July 2017. Where the 1.6 million transfer balance cap is exceeded, the Commissioner can, can direct that that, those excess assets be commuted to a, another superannuation account. And excess transfer balance earnings tax will apply to the notional earnings on that excess balance. A super income stream can be commuted to a lump sum prior to 1 July 2017 and moved to an accumulation account, and there were very complex transitional rules around that. And where a taxpayer receives an income stream and becomes entitled to a reversionary income stream, they have 12 months to rectify their transfer balance cap without penalty. Self-managed super funds still offer fantastic tax and wealth managed, wealth management planning opportunities, um, making the most of opportunities to buy and develop property. That, that's an important way to use superannuation. And making the most of small business CGT concessions in eliminating capital gains by making contributions to a, a self-managed super fund. So if your client sells a small business, if they can make smart use of the small business CGT concessions, it, it is a useful way to potentially make a contribution to their super fund and you know, preserve some of that and reduce the capital gains tax on the sale of that business and also keep, you know, effectively put more money into a superannuated environment. It's also important to ensure that you have an appropriate strategy in relation to bonding death benefit nominations, and you need to seek expert advice to make sure these solutions are properly implemented. So in relation to transitional relief, from 1 July 2017, SMSFs are permitted to have a maximum balance supporting a pension of $1.6 in assets. And in order to comply with this transfer balance cap, There are special transitional rules that potentially affect the cost base of the assets that are held in a pension fund or held in an accumulation fund. These transitional rules apply to funds that existed at or before 9 November 2016. They must be compliant Australian superannuation funds. The assets must have been owned from 9 November 2016 or earlier. And the election for transitional relief is made on an asset-by-asset basis, Assets must be owned continuously from 9 November until cessation time. So from 1 July 2017, self-managed super funds are permitted to transfer a maximum of $1.6 million into a retirement phase account, that is assets that will support a pension and the earnings on those assets will be treated as being tax-free. Uh, the government has offered transitional CGT relief relief To enable funds to apply, to comply with this transfer balance cap. Effectively, this, this relief applies on an asset by asset basis. So you make the election on an asset by asset basis and it steps up the cost base of those assets to the market value at the time you make the election. And it's, it also defers the gain on those assets until they are sold outside the, the super fund. The gain may be deferred in the case of an unsegregated fund or in respect of assets held in a segregated fund, there will be no capital gain when the asset is transferred to an accumulation account. In respect of assets held in an unsegregated fund, the gain will be deferred in respect of the assets transferred to an accumulation account, and it will be deferred until those assets are sold outside the fund. So transitional relief may be available where. The fund existed at or before 9 November 2016. It was a complying Australian superannuation fund. The assets were owned from 9 November 2016 or earlier. And you make the election for transitional relief on an asset-by-asset basis. Now, there are two main reasons you would not make the election for transitional relief. One is where a capital loss would be realised on the asset that would that would step the cost base of the asset down, which is disadvantageous. The second situation is where you intended to sell the asset before 30 June 2018. Um in, in that situation you would not make the election because you would not get the the one-third capital gains tax discount for a trust, the rate the way the rules work. So there are two situations in which you wouldn't make the election. One is where you'd have a capital loss on the asset. The second is where you intend to sell the asset. Why 30 June 2018? Um, and if you do intend to do that, you wouldn't make the election if the asset is on capital account because you wouldn't get the one-third capital gains tax discount for a trust. What are we going to see going forward? What does the landscape look like going forward in relation to estate planning as a result of changes to superannuation legislation? Essentially, as people pass away, Their super money is going to pass to death benefit dependents. It will be harder and harder for those people to get money into a superannuated environment. And more and more of this money is probably going to flow to family trusts. We're probably going to see a shift of this money into family trusts rather than super funds. It will just be too hard to get this money into superannuation funds. The non-concessional contribution penalties are just too high. So going forward we I, I would expect that more of this money flows into family trusts rather than super funds
1: oh, that's interesting
0: and in relation to to planning around um, around the, the transfer balance cap you don't want to enter into planning that, that's particularly convoluted or, or, or complex because you're likely to be hit by part 4A so that's something to keep in mind as well. That's a short overview of estate planning issues, particularly in light of the recent changes to superannuation legislation.
1: Welcome back. I found it interesting that most court cases around SMSF trustees seem to involve blended families. In the next episode, episode 29, Claire Thornet of WLF in Hobart will talk about car parking fringe benefits. Until then, thank you for listening, bye for now, and see you in the next episode.